Our topic today is how did Alberta arrive at its present political and financial state. Our speaker is Dr. Anthony Sayers. He received his uh, undergraduate education from, Western Australia, from the University of Western Australia and completed a lot of his, M his MA and PhD at the University of British Columbia. His research deals with major political institutions, including political parties, elections, federalism, parliaments, and he's particularly interested in organizational and campaigning aspects of political parties. Dr. Sayers also writes on Alberta provincial politics. So without further ado, and I know you'll be, we'll be interested to hear him and to, we'll have him come up and uh, give us our presentation. So please welcome Dr. Anthony Sayers. Thanks very much for the invitation. It's wonderful to be here. Uh, you'll notice that and from my accent and from the introduction, I grew up in Australia. I had a day end up in Alberta. I married a woman from Lethbridge. Uh, and, in fact, we had the reception here. So, <laughs> and I understand Knud also uh, had his reception here, so I guess we're back where we started in a strange way. So because of her, I'm stuck with you. Or maybe because of her, you're stuck with me. Anyway, uh, so what I'd uh, like to uh, argue today, what I uh, propose is, is a little, I don't know, I, I never quite know just how innovative my ideas are, but in some ways I want to blame both voters and politicians for where we are. I'm a great believer in the Russian uh, saying that you get the politicians you deserve. And if anybody knows that, I think Russians know that. Uh, so we, it's very easy for voters to blame politicians for lowering, raising taxes, not, not putting money back into the Heritage Fund, doing the wrong thing. But uh, we selected them, and in fact we've selected, in a sense, the same bunch for 44 years. So we bear, although I, I would have advised our Premier not to say what he said about uh, people looking in the mirror, we do bear some responsibility for our circumstances. But I do want to sort of make the point that we're, we've been suckered into it by circumstances to some degree. Um, so let me move through, um, I will argue broadly that Alberta politics is unusual. Most politics around the world tends to work on a left-right dimension. Alberta politics has not really done that. Alberta politics has more worked on this other dimension, which I broadly think of as a populist dimension, whether you're a pro- or anti-populist leader. Because of that, leaders, uh, Tory leaders across time have been able to play various cards that are not available to politicians in most parts of the world. So for, and, and to indulge in politics, which is quite unusual. So we have a party which styles itself as a conservative party, but which is the biggest spending party in Canada per capita. And that's been true over most of our last 30 or 40 years. Alberta has spent per capita more money on services than any other province. Uh, Albertans like their services, and why not? But we like not to pay for them, so what happens? Well, we... We'll let, we'll let royalties make up the difference. We have low taxes and high services. That puts both politicians and us in a particular area where we really don't want to confront the elephant in the room, which is how do we 
should we really pay for these services and be saving some of the money we get from royalties? So this populist, so this is one reason why the Tories can move from being a sort of left-wing, from a right-wing party, and sometimes a bit left-wing and back to right, because it's not being, it's not your position on the left and right spectrum that really determines your political success in Alberta. It's whether you can play to this populist tendency in Alberta politics. And so the royalty regime, in a sense, or our royalty yeah, our royalty revenues have allowed us or have allowed governments and us to play this game. So we know that populism and Western alienation have a long history. It's not like they were just made up. Uh, uh, you know, Alberta was denied access to resources uh, for 25 years after it was founded. Uh, the cycles, the economic cycles in Alberta and central Canada were, were always quite different. Immigration patterns between central Canada and Alberta were always very different. Alberta is one of only two provinces to never have had a majority Anglophone nor Francophone population. In other words, at no time in Alberta's history has more than 50% of the population been, st strictly speaking, Anglophone or, strictly speaking, Francophone. It shares it with Saskatchewan. It's a very unusual... It means that our historic history and our political history and the things that have shaped our politics have come from different places than other parts of the country. And that is an important part of, our, uh, uh, of where, how we got to where we are. In terms of geography, we know we're, we're far from the centre, or what was the centre, uh, and still is. Uh, often I, I tell my students who uh, sometimes get mad at Ontario that uh, Ontario, Ontario's economy is four times larger than Alberta's. It's still, a, even with all its problems, a very powerful economic player and, of course, has f more, four times as many MPs as well. Uh, I, I, I think I've said all those. Uh, in, uh, so the royalties has allowed governments to purchase social cohesion. Because governments get access to these extraordinary funds, when times are politically tough, they have enough resources to buy off opposition. And this has been a r repeating pattern in Alberta politics, that if you come across a problem, instead of having to solve the problem, you sort of buy it up, you bid it up, you pay for it uh, in a range of ways. Um, it's diminished the normal, as I said, the normal left and right politics. In most places, arguments about the right level of taxes and spending are at the core of politics, and parties situate themselves on either side of that debate. In Alberta, that debate is only occasionally at the centre. What's at the centre is another sort of debate about what it is to be Alberta, Alberta's relationship with the rest of the country, how privileged we are to be Albertans, how special we are. It's quite a different tone. And if you think back to Rolf Klein, he was a person who moved from being, when he cut in his early period, quite a right-wing politician. By the time he left office, he was again spending more than any other Premier per capita in Canada. So here's a politician that was able or felt free to move from being quite a right-wing in terms of fiscal policy politician to being a very left-wing in terms of fiscal policy politician. So a very interesting dynamic. And then finally, these cycles have a somewhat unusual effect on our view of planning. In most, because this cycle is beyond our control, that plays into this sense that we are not in control of our, full control of our destiny, which, by the way, is a very central part of a populist mythology. Um, populist mythologies always construct an other who controls our future more than they should. That's true in American populism and certainly in Canadian populism. And in a strange way, the oil and gas revenues have stood in for that. It basically tells us, look, no matter what we do, our economic future is sort of beyond our control. They'll go up, they'll go down. What can we do? We just have to ride the horse, to use a good Alberta analogy. Um, and it has 
made the notion of planning more difficult to sell in Alberta. Right? Arguably, there are two potential responses to uncertainty. One is to say we need more planning because things are uncertain, and the other one is to say they're so uncertain that no level of planning will really help us. And Albertans find it, both politicians, because I know people who have been in the Cabinet, and I know this has been part of Cabinet discussions, both politicians and voters often just say, look, it's all too difficult. We don't want to plan for it. We don't want it's going to happen to oil and gas revenues next year. Let's just close our eyes, ride it out, and eventually it'll bounce back. So what have, you know, that bumper sticker about, you know, next time we have one of these things, we'll, we'll, we'll use it wisely. Sadly, that person doesn't know much about human psychology. When you survive one crisis and it self-rectifies, your psychological response is that it will do it again next time so I don't need to worry about it. And that's pretty much what I think Alberta politicians and voters do. They hope that the next, they expect the next cycle to run like the last one and self-rectify. So we don't need to plan for that cycle. It's just not worth it. So again, this unusual dynamic. David Stewart and I, David Stewart is one of my colleagues at the University of Calgary, we, uh, we have for the last two elections done a, a big survey, quite a different survey than the ones that you read in the newspapers. I want to stress that if there's a very big difference between asking somebody how do you expect to vote next week and how did you vote yesterday. Uh, and moreover, if you, if you call them directly rather than have a machine call them, they're much more likely to answer. But, but, that, but the people who do the polls, the pre-election polls now, they are very heavily constrained by money. They can't do a lot of them. They're very expensive. These polls cost about fifty or $60,000 each to run, the ones that we were funded to do. We did them the last two elections. We are trying to get together. If anybody has $50,000 that they don't want, they'd like to give away, well, not give away, not to me, but if you really would like another survey of this election, which is particularly interesting, it's always the case that the money runs out just at the wrong moment, like Alberta. Um, but uh, but uh, we'd love to run one. We're trying to see if we can get $20,000 together to, to run a very small survey to, in case the election results are as interesting as the polls, the current polls tell us. But anyway, David Stewart and I have, uh, after studying, uh, surveying Albertans and based on surveys we've done earlier, a lot of work in Alberta, have these six frames in which we uh, discuss Alberta politics. We ask people, how much support do you have for government? We, we ask a large array of questions, and then we construct what we call scales on these six dimensions. How supportive are you of, government, of an activist government? How attached are you to individualism? Uh, how supportive are you of environmental regulation, particularly in the energy industry? Uh, how supportive are you of social conservatism? And then these last two, which are in red because other provinces... In most places, you will not find you would not construct scales for these two things because they don't really play into uh, politics in most other provinces and most other places. How attached are you to Western alienation, or another way of putting it, how annoyed are you with Central Canada? It's a rather inchoate thing, particularly when there's a Conservative government heavily supported by Albertans running Ottawa. Uh, but it's okay. Every now and then, all you need is a Quebec or a Ontario Premier to say something foolish. And that's close enough that will get Albertans upset enough that you can... So, you know, something like, well, we're not going to put a pipeline through or, you know, we're, we, I don't know, something that annoys Albertans. Uh, and the last one is your attachment to populism. And there's a range of questions we ask about, you know, how do you view local community versus uh, government? Who do you trust? Uh, and we try and build these scales up from multiple questions so that they're reliable. What I want to take you through is the shift and... Uh, I, uh, is there a... There is a Where's the clock? Is there a good... Uh, 
I should have brought one up here. That's okay. I'll, uh, I'll see. You shout out when I'm... Thank you. Um, what I want to do is take you through the results from 2008 and 2012 and just to show you some of the changes. So this is on how supportive are you of active government. And there are two things that these, these pictures can help us with. One is the ranking of the parties, and that's the most important thing. Right? So, for example, as you would expect, NDP voters are by and large the most supportive, the highest bar in this case, of an activist government, and while Rose supporters are by and large the least supportive of active government. And then the Liberals are sort of near the NDP, and uh, the PCs are between the Liberals and the Wild Rose. So what's interesting, the two scales, the first one, I'm sorry, you most probably can't read it, but on the left is the 2008 and on the right is the 2012, and that will be true for all these slides. And what you see is uh, a slight increase in the, in, on the PC side, a slight increase in the number of, in the support for an active government. It's interesting to note that no party in Alberta, is, even the Wild Rose, which we tend to think of as a fairly right-wing party, is particularly brutal in terms of active government. There's nothing near zero here. But the upward shift on the PC side is consistent with the story. Uh, we've, we asked people, how did you vote last time? How did you vote this time? And we found things like uh, people who voted Liberal in 2008. There was a ch sizable chunk of people that voted Tory and even some NDP people. So that moved to a more activist view of government is consistent with Alison Redford having brought into the party people from two who would have traditionally been to somewhat to the left of the Tories. The Liberals are about the same. The NDP drops a bit, and that's an interesting story. Some of this stuff is most probably secular. In other words, these are trends that are happening over time. Uh, it's not clear why the NDP have moved, but they, they're still with the Liberals on the activist end. And the Wild Rose, slightly more, but clearly still the party least interested in activist government. If you think of individualism, these are one of these six scales, uh, you get the results that you'd expect. The Wild Rose, the most individualistic of, of parties, the, PC, the PCs a bit less, the Liberals a bit less again, and the, Liber and the NDP the least. But what's interesting is this secular downward trend, the argument that over time all parties over that period became less, or their supporters, it's not the parties, I must be clear, these are people who supported these parties. So we're not talking about the parties themselves, if by that we mean platforms and leaders necessarily. But there was a tendency across all these measures for people to become somewhat less individualistic between 2000 2008 and 2012. I'm not going to make too much of it, I'm just pointing out these patterns. But again, movement and arguably certainly on the PC side where the largest shift happened, consistent with the idea that they were appealing to people outside their normally more individualistic uh, frame of reference. In terms of energy and the environment, one of the striking things of all our surveys is that overwhelmingly about 80% of Albertans prefer stricter environmental regulation. That's been a consistent number. Albertans are very aware of the difficulties, particularly with, um, uh, with Fort McMurray and, and the oil sands, and they would like it to be fixed. If you then go on to ask them what they're willing to pay to have it fixed, that becomes, there's less support for that. And again, Albertans have been indulged. It's fair to see that. We, we want our resources and we would like them, uh, like them, I'd like them to pay my pension. But, and so do I really want to pay for the cost of regulation? And regulation always comes at a cost. And so Albertans have not forced to square that circle. Right. We want better environmental regulation overwhelmingly. Uh, even amongst Wild Rose supporters, half of Wild Rose supporters about would like stricter... Uh, who, the, the party you would think of as being least supportive of environmental regulation, uh, about half of their supporters would like enhanced environmental regulation. How do we get there? 
Well, that's a problem for politicians. I don't have any genius on that regard. But still, so here we have, again, uh, the Lib- you notice the Liberal Party goes down a bit and the NDP, suggesting they may have lost some of these people, the, um, the PCs goes up. So you get a sense that there's, uh, uh, again, this shift to the PCs across those two elections. Social conservatism, one of the, over- uh, one of the myths when I travel the rest of the country and I go to meetings, people presume that Albertans are conservative. Albertans are not conservative by any measure. Albertans are conservative in one peculiar way. They like low taxes and they like high services. But they're not, they're not peculiarly conservative in any other measure. If you look at surveys of people in Saskatchewan or people in Nova Scotia, we're all about the same. We have about the same level. We are populist, and sometimes that is misconstrued as conservatism because we don't trust big government and we don't trust big organisations very much. And sometimes that is presumed to be a sort of conservatism, and it can be, but it is more a populist resentment of big rather than necessarily a true conservatism. Uh, Albertans are not even particularly religious. Albertans is one of the least religious provinces along with BC and Quebec in the country. But I'm not here to talk about those things. They're they're just things which when I go, uh, when I speak to other political scientists across the country, they have a series of presumptions about Alberta. You know, we're all rednecks. Um, We're very religious, very conservative. And those things are not borne out by surveys and numbers. Anyway, uh, let's move on to populism. And here you see the striking outcome here is actually just how extraordinary, how extraordinarily high all the bars are. Even the least populist party and the party, and this is the reason for the party's struggles, the Liberal Party, is relatively populist. The Liberal Party fails in Alberta not because of its position on left and right, but because it doesn't resonate with Alberta's populism. That's the story of this slide. But again, what you see is, the, and we're interested in the Tories mainly because we're interested in that, that move between 2008 and 2012 of the party pulling in people that have not always been in its uh, bailiwick. So it becomes slightly less populist over that period, whereas the Wild Rose becomes more populist over that period. And in fact, if Premier Prentice has a weakness, it's that he is not a good populist and he confronts uh, certainly one very populist leader, I think, uh, not a populist leader from the traditional direction, and potentially another one in, uh, in the leader of the Royal Rose, Mr Hume. But still, we'll talk about that a bit later. Um, let's move on then to Western alienation. And this is the one that... It's a very inchoate idea, but if you, if you live in Alberta and you didn't say something in the, about, and you spoke about political culture, it would be odd not to speak about this sense of annoyance with the centre that is certainly very true uh, 70 years ago, still true 50 years ago, still true during the NEP. You know, when I came here I pre- and I started teaching politics, I just assumed that, you know, they opened babies up at birth here and, put, and stamped their DNA with NEP uh, to, so that they, everybody knew that they had to hate it. They didn't know what it was, but they knew they had to hate it. And, uh, and then, of course, I discovered NOP, which predates NEP. What's NOP? Anybody know what NOP is? Yeah, for 20 years, people in Canada, in, in the rest of the country, paid Alberta to go, paid a couple of pennies on every gallon of gas, as it was then. They they uh, purchased, and that money went to Alberta to encourage um, uh, exploration. But no Albertan remembers that because that was them giving us something, as opposed to ripping us off. It's always easier to remember a slight. Anyway, it, it is fascinating these things that get lost in the in the sort of general consciousness. Uh, 
And finally, uh, oh, let me just go, oops, I don't know how to, okay. So the are the measures. I think I went through them all. And what I want to show you is a very difficult-to-read scale, and I'm sorry about that. But all you really need to know is this is a measure of how far the parties are away from the middle voter on these six issues. And this is this graph, that's why it's complicated, this is the graph that explains why we've had a Tory dynasty for 44 years. On nearly every important issue, Tories are closer to the ordinary... It's a, that's a technical issue I can't go into, but basically the middle voter in, our, in Alberta than any other party. That is if our contribution to political science. Davis and I were the first people to sort of try this. And that really describes the Tory party's dominance of Alberta politics. You can see that sometimes they are beaten on one or two issues by another party. But overall, if you are a good Albertan, you better vote Tory. That's what that says. Not quite, actually. The reverse is true. The Tories have managed to capture the centre of Alberta politics, in a sense. Uh, you can see the Wild Rose farther out. You can see the Liberal Party uh, further out again. And the NDP, close on some issues, but a bit further out. For example, more pro-government, quite a way away on pro-government. But close on things like populism, um, not very close on Western alienation uh, and Western alienation. It's the Liberals that don't ring on Western alienation and populism. Now I want to show you. This. I want to talk about the PC, what that means for our party system. This is graphical. There are no numbers under here. This is an, an, an attempt to interpret what you've just seen. This is basically the 2008 party system. Tories centre right, the NDP. Uh, and and uh, uh, let me start again. The left and right spec. The left and right is the horizontal, and the vertical is populist at the top, pro-populist and anti-populist at the bottom. So this goes back to my earlier point that to understand Alberta politics, you really need, you can't just look at it as a left and a right problem. It's a left and right, but also populist and anti-populist. So. What you have is the Tories in 2008 dominating the centre-right, the Liberals, a sort of anti-populist party, uh, somewhere between them and the NDP, and the NDP, a more populist party, and that will play into the next two elections, than the Liberals on the left. This is the 2000, after 2012, and what you see is the collapsing of the Tories around the voter as they start to get worried about the wild rose. So they absorb Liberal voters... They get worried about the wild rose, so they collapse in around the centre voter and become less different, right? Less, uh, they, they use their polling and other uh, efforts to, to constrain their policies to be around what they perceive to be, quite correctly, the centre voter. What you see is the Liberal Party becoming somewhat less relevant. The, the people who voted, this is people who voted for the wild rose in 2012, remain quite a long way from the average Albertan. Right. And the NDP becomes the second most, clearly here, is the second most relevant party after the 2012 election. Despite the fact, this is in policy terms by the way, despite the fact that the Wild Rose does better in terms of seats. And we'll, we can talk about that in the question and, and answer. Okay, so what is that? Uh, I'll move on. So what, what happened in 2012? By and large, Wild Rose arrives on the right of your screen. The Tories' response to the Wild Rose threat is to move to the left and absorb people who were Liberal voters and maybe some NDP voters. The Liberals become relatively irrelevant. Uh, I know David Swan quite well and 
He doesn't like this analysis. But the Liberals just don't know how to play how to be how to play populist. They're not good populists. It's not that they're bad people. It's not that they're stupid or anything. But they really—it's not in their DNA, the party's DNA—to be a populist party. The NDP does okay because, in terms of this, because it remains, it has populist roots. You may know that the pre-meeting for the what was in the CCF before its formal meeting in Regina happened in Calgary. Uh, Alberta has always been the home of both left. Has always been a sort of seedbed for both left and right-wing. Um, populist parties, both the social credit on one hand, or the argument of the UFA perhaps, although it's not quite so clear, certainly the, C, uh, the social credit and the CCF have deep roots in the populist part of Alberta's of political culture. What happened in 2015, or what will happen, that's going to be a much more difficult issue, but let me give you some hint as to what I see. And I've taken some of my... Or some of this comes from an analysis of the platforms of the parties. One of the most... In, so one of the most interesting changes has been uh, Rachel Notley's willingness to be a populist, an overt populist. So she has moved the party somewhat to the right and more populist uh, over, the, over the last few months. So she now has a budget, for example, doesn't talk about taxes raising big taxes. It's not a very left-wing document. It talks about treating people equally. They focus very heavily on the failure of the Tories to um, tax corporations. This plays very well with a populist mem that we must all stick together to solve this problem. So that Premier Prentice handed Rachel Notley a gift when he did not tax corporations. Whatever the economic arguments for not taxing corporations, the populist argument is clear. We are all in this together. We should all pay a price. There is no, nobody should be left out. Why were corporations left out? And Rachel Notley, smart person, has figured this out. She's a very personable, very smart person, and she's figured this out. And their whole approach to this election is to really hurt the Tories on this ground that has been, in many ways, their playing field for the last 40 years. They have been the populist party. And that has been helped in part by Premier Prentice not being a, as his predecessor Alison Redford, not being natural populists. He's not a natural populist. He has much more of a patrician air to him than a populist air. And that does not play well, very well with Albertans. Albertans may be, convinced, may be able to be convinced of his uh, genius, but they don't like him in the way that they might have liked Ralph Klein. Whatever you thought of Rolf Klein's policies, he was a pretty likeable fellow in many ways. You know, we can argue certainly about some of his policies and some of his direct impact, but to meet at a bar or in public, he was sociable, he smiled easily, he talked easily. Alison Redford did not, Danielle Smith did. Uh, Jim Prentice is okay, but he's certainly no Rolf Klein. Even Ed Stelmach, and I say even, I shouldn't say that, I know Ed Stelmach quite well, he's a nice man, but he was not. Uh, as comfortable with language as, say, Rolf Klein was, but if you met Ad Stelmach, he was hard not to like as a person. He was a very genuinely nice person, and that came across in, in, to, in personal contact. It didn't come across so much on television. But he certainly had a sort of a populist tinge to him as well. Uh, but you can see what's happened is that the PCs haven't really moved left to right very much, maybe a bit to the right, but, you know, it's, it's arguable. I mean, the Wild Roads would argue they moved to the left by raising taxes, and, you know, I guess some conservative tourists would say they... Uh, sorry, uh, by not cutting, by raising taxes, it means that they're a left-wing party and from the Wild Rose perspective, um, and by not cutting enough, uh, you know, or by, um, by cutting at all, 
people on the left say they moved to the right. But let's see, keep them about the, the same place. So we have to move on. OK, what's interesting is the Tories have dropped. The Wild Rose has moved a bit to the centre and the, the NDP has moved somewhat to the right and become more populist, which is a fascinating move. Uh, so let me move on then. So why do we have one-party dominance? And this is really the final part of the thing I'd like to say. It's this unusual alliance between this traditional populism and our royalties. Our royalties allow politicians to square the circle, to offer us low taxes, to offer us lots of services, and never to have to argue about how we pay for that. You know, if you want these services, we should raise tax. Oh, that's difficult. Let's not do that. Well, we can cut services and keep them at the... And, and keep them at the level we can afford with these taxes. Well, that's no good. I want my knee replacement or whatever it is next week, please. Don't do that. So, you know, again, politicians are responding rationally. So what's been the effect of this royalty cycle? It's produced these unusual effects. Every Premier, including Peter Lougheed, has removed money from the Alberta Heritage Fund and promised to put it back, and nearly always has failed to do so. Um, you know, Lougheed was a genius for coming up with this idea, but even he had destroyed the basic dynamic by the time he'd left office. Uh, our current Premier, the last Premier, the Premier before that and the Premier before, all, off, all promised to put money back in and that's not really happened in any sustained way. Alberta per capita spending is much higher but we have lower taxes so this is where we're in, in, engaged. We don't like having the discussion about raising taxes. We will have a PST one day. Uh, when, our, when the royalties from our oil and gas run out, we will have a PST because we will not be able to afford what we have without a PST and there's been a structural change in the nature of taxation over the last 30 years as people's incomes and their, where they live has become separated, so many people are paid in places other than which they live. To actually capture that, to capture them as a taxable element, you can only capture them when they buy things. So PSTs have become a, structural, a response to the structural change in the nature of the economy in all West and, well, everywhere over the last 30 or 40 years. So Alberta will have a PST, I can guarantee that, whenever royalties disappear. Uh, I just don't know when royalties will disappear, so maybe that's useless. Uh, and finally... Oh, um, sorry, so I, I think I may have one more slide here. Maybe, that, maybe I'll go straight to this slide because we're running out of time. The cycle has convinced voters that politicians do not need to square the circle of low taxes and high spending. Till now, as I said earlier, every downswing has been matched by an upswing. So, the, so really the story that we are happy to hold on to is just hold on for the ride. We're on a roller coaster. Close your eyes and scream. But don't worry, it will go back up soon enough. The, the wheels are not coming off. And finally, and this is, uh, and so politicians r r risk losing office if they raise taxes, and voters risk losing services if they vote in a politician like a Rolf Klein who's actually willing to cut. So it's a very difficult situation. Finally, uncertainty has undercut our willingness and our desire to plan. And this is maybe the saddest impact of all. It is hard to get Alberta politicians, I've tried, and Albertans generally to think about how to plan for this complex economy of ours. And if I were to urge one thing on all of you is uh, to go home and encourage people to say, look, you know, uh, the, uh, the, the, the cycle of royalties may solve itself. We can see this as, you know, beyond our control. We're just populist. We're just po we, can't, we can't really control this beast. It's beyond our control, so we'll go for the ride. The other response is it's difficult, but we could plan for it and we should plan for it. And that would be my lesson. Um, so the continued... Are we just about up for time? Okay. Uh, let, 
Let me go then to this final slide where I talk about who might change this. There are two types of broadly speaking politicians, and this is a very crude but uh, meaning broad uh, description, but a populist, a somebody like Rolf Klein who really believes that he is uh, the salt of the earth, who believes he's a real Albertan, who believes he can take Albertans with him and has the capacity to do that, which he appears to have done in the 90s, could either most probably cut spending like Ralph Klein did, but possibly even convince Albertans of the need to raise taxes. But that would be the buy-in model. We're all in this together. The other person is a more Lougheed-like person, somewhat more like uh, our current Premier, a more patrician po politician who would, who would try and speak to our intellect and say, look, planning is, what is the right thing to do, is the thing we should do, and I want to convince you of the value of planning and hence we're going to go forward and we're going to raise some taxes, lower some spending or whatever it is, some mix, and we're going to put that money off into a back into the Heritage Trust Fund for our children and our children's ch children. And that's it. Thank you.